You're listening to The Main Course, where food is serious business. Listen along for insights, strategies, forecasts, and thought leadership from the front lines of food with your host, Barbara Castiglia. Welcome to The Main Course. I'm Barbara Castiglia, and today we're going to talk about something that sounds like a little disconnect, lobster and franchising. Um, but I assure you, it is not a disconnect. Um, and with me today are the co-founders of Cousins Maine Lobster, um, which kind of started out as an idea between the two of them uh, while they were drinking one time and getting together uh, back in a long time ago and kind of started out in the food truck uh, area and has now expanded beyond that. Um, so with me is Jim Sidlakis, Sidlakis, sorry, um, and Sabin Lomax. So welcome, guys. Um, so um, for people who don't know, and I think a lot of people are familiar with you because you guys were on Shark Tank. So I guess my, my first question um, is, you know, just explain the business for people who are out there who, um, you know, may not know who you guys are. Um, so just a brief background of who you are, what you do and where you are now. Um, and, you know, and some of the, the stuff that's on on the menu. Yeah, <clears throat> well, we are Cousins Maine Lobster, uh, founded by us, two cousins from Maine. Um, and, you know, our goal was really simple. We wanted to recreate our childhood. Uh, growing up in Maine, lobster is extremely uh, accessible and um, not fancy, no frills. And we kind of wanted to bring that to, the, to uh, the people here in Los Angeles. That was the goal. One food truck, hopefully break even, have a little fun. As it <laughs> turns out, people really like lobster rolls. So our lines were extremely long. We were doing a big business, went on Shark Tank, partnered with Barbara Corcoran. And then after that, um, you know, just continued to really, really grow exponentially. Uh, we decided to franchise, <coughs> excuse me, franchise the trucks about two years into business. Um, didn't really know how to do it, but we said we were going to figure it out. And um, now we're in about 35 cities, close to 50 total units. Um, you know, and simple, traditional Maine lobster roll. So we bring the bread from Maine, the lobster from Maine, and uh, lobster bisque, clam chowder. Our most popular item is uh, the Connecticut lobster roll, which is like a warm Maine lobster in butter and served on a roll. So just really super simple menu, but the highest quality product possible. And, um, you know, it's really, really fun. So working together as family and, and growing the business has been, it's been unbelievable. So, you know, we, we were talking a little bit about how, you know, you connected with, with Shark Tank. And um, so what was the decision to, to do that? Why, you know, why did you think that would be a good vehicle for, uh, you know, for people to kind of learn about what you were doing? Yeah, I mean, I think for, for us, I mean, um, you know, the, the, the fact of the matter is that Shark Tank uh, reached out to us. Um, and, you know, they reach out to three or four, or excuse me, 30 or 40 groups a year or so. And we were one of the fortunate ones uh, just by the nature of setting up our truck and, and being at some of the events that we started with. Um, but in the grand scheme, why we, um, after probably a little hesitancy when we said no to the show twice, um, and then the executive producer called us and said, hey, if you guys don't do this, you're going to be making the worst decision in your lives. Um, and so with about, you know, a month and a half of business, we ended up at, three months of business, we ended up shooting the show. Um, and then it aired, you know, in October of 2012. And the reason that we did it was because um, it was an amazing platform. Um, and we really believed that while our business was in its infancy and we didn't yet know where we were going, 
uh, amidst kind of conversations of ourselves, we said, well, listen, we have the opportunity to share our story to the entire nation, to the entire world that saw Shark Tank. Um, and we thought we had a special story. It was just really about recreating our childhood. And to have that opportunity that, that many don't, um, that's kind of why we, we went down that road. And then it was up to us to execute thereafter, you know, the day after you show 9 million people about Cousins Made Lobster. I'm sure the, the response must have been overwhelming. Um, and, you know, what, what would you say are the lessons that you've learned the most from, you know, that you take away from that experience? Uh, from being on Shark Tank specifically? <clears throat> yes. Yes. Uh, I mean, I think we always say be prepared. What was one of the most pivotal parts of going on Shark Tank for us? We watched about 50 episodes. We made note cards. We, we studied what every shark said, their common questions. We practiced how we would answer them. Um, you know, I, I think we're smart. I don't think we're the smartest guys, in the world, but we were really, really well prepared. So when, when we went on the show, we made sure that we, um, represented ourselves well and represented, uh, the state of Maine. That was our, our really, really, uh, most important piece. So when the sharks asked questions before the questions even came out of their mouth, we knew what they were going to ask and we knew how we were going to answer. So that can be applied, whether you're on Shark Tank or going for a job interview or, or going for a pitch. If you're an entrepreneur, whatever it may be, just to be really, really prepared. So we talked a little bit about franchising. Um, so why why did you decide to, you know, grow the company via franchising? Um, and, you know, now, you know, looking back now that you've learned a lot about it, um, you know, what are, you know, some of the advantages of going the franchising route? I think, you know, we actually, we owe Barbara credit on this one because uh, she came to us and said, you know, hey, we, we, we had three or four corporate trucks at the time that we owned. She said, hey, you guys got to think about franchising. And Saban and I, as the story goes, we go, well, what the hell is franchising? You know, we didn't, we didn't know what it was. We knew that McDonald's was a franchise, but we didn't really know what entails or kind of what falls underneath that umbrella uh, of the term itself. So we learned a whole new business within our business over the next year, year and a half, and began franchising. And the reason that we started down that road with the advice of Barbara was to scale. She said, you have something that you can take and put in so many different markets, and you can put multiple, multiple of these units, trucks at the time, in different areas throughout the country, which then evolved into our restaurants. Um, and the reason that we franchised was to bring our story, our food, um, as Saban said, you know, the state of Maine to other cities throughout the country because we're proud of it. Um, it was a fun challenge, and we like working with other people. I think the biggest advantage of working with franchisees um, is that you find amazing people who are entrepreneurs and have that, um, they want to live and breathe this business every day. They're at the helm, they're at the forefront, um, and they're invested into the business. So that means that if Saban is a franchisee on the other side of the country, that he wakes up every day because this is his baby, it's his, his business, and he is there, you know, making it work and hustling. Um, and that allows the great representation to exist when we go in other markets versus maybe paying someone a salary and hoping they wake up and care about your business like a, like a franchisee who's got skin in the game. Right. So what do you look for in a franchisee partner? <clears throat> um, you know, what we look for personally, I mean, I think is a good positive attitude, someone who's willing to hustle. Um, and someone who's coachable, someone who doesn't have an ego and they're willing to listen, they're willing to take uh, criticism. And I think also one of the most recent things is, um, are you going to be a really nice boss? 
you know, especially in today's marketplace, um, in the landscape, the, the job landscape is hard. You need to be a cool and kind boss. And you can't just be one of those people that say, you know, you work for me. This is how it goes. That that doesn't work anymore. So these are some of, some of the pivotal things we look for. Um, being coachable is important because you need to learn and you need to listen. Um, and we've certainly learned a lot over the course of the year. So we, we, we're trying to have our franchisees avoid the the problems and the mistakes that we've made in the past. Uh, so coachable, fun, kind, and I think most notably and recently, are you going to be a fun and nice boss? Can you give uh, some examples of those little mistakes that you learned along the way? How many hours you got? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just a couple. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'll, I'll just throw one out there really quickly, which is, you know, I think that, you know, I say don't be cheap. Um, and I think it's hard to, um, you know, we don't want to spend other people's money and act like we don't appreciate it, but we know when you open a cousin's main lobster, you're going to be very busy. So we encourage our franchisees to, um, you know, buy more freezer space and ha be more prepared and have a bigger prep kitchen. Um, we, we kind of encourage you to really invest big, big, big in the beginning. Um, and sometimes people don't always want to do that because they're kind of hesitant. They go, well, maybe it's not going to be as busy as I think. Maybe it's not going to be as, as crazy. And what happens is um, it is that busy and crazy and they're behind. Uh, and so we encourage them to kind of spend the money and set up their house a little better. Uh, so in the, in the past, we've kind of haven't been as pushy about it. We said, okay, now we're a little more firm. So are your requirements um, for a franchisee partner different for a food truck and a retail site? Do you look for different kinds of people or different uh, different characteristics or it's kind of the same? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of things overlap um, because to Saban's point, the work ethic, the hustle, the good person, like it sounds cheesy, but it's hard to find good people um, that are then going to become amazing bosses and owners for, for to create a really nice culture and a team. It's really hard to hire people today. So people want to work for great people, good culture that, that care about each other, not just the financial side of things and not just showing up to work. Um, and then you want people that are going to be creative and outside the box thinkers. Those are the entrepreneurs that if push comes to shove, if COVID happens, um, if you go to a truck event and it doesn't, doesn't do well, you know, waking up the next day and finding the next place to rebound from that. It's that, it's that effort, the extra hustle, um, and when things aren't perfect, how do you get out of it? Um, so those exist for a restaurant or a food truck. But by the nature of it, um, you know, I think there are there are franchisees that have a lot of experience maybe in other. We have many franchisees in our business that are franchisees of other types of industries, oil, uh, other other food sectors. Um, and they kind of know the brick and mortar space. So they might be more uh, driven towards restaurant space. But most people are really into the idea of the truck because especially during COVID, it's, it's outside. There's, there's space for people to stand. It's all this touchless app. The truck is mobile, so you can almost be your own billboard moving throughout town. Um, and if you can find people, you will do sales. Um, so there's, there are some nuances there. Some people are just more geared to saying, hey, I have 20 uh, Jimmy John's or I have 20 of these units, and therefore I want restaurants. Um, but a lot of people like the diversification of both. So in what ways do you support your franchisees? Uh, in every way possible. <clears throat> um, I think we do a really good job of training. Um, when you come on board, you're going to do a training in Maine, a training in Los Angeles, a training on site. We have a really, really robust, passionate, caring staff who's willing to work 
you know, 24 hours a day to help and support you, not just pre-launch, but after you kind of get started. Um, and, you know, round the clock care support, I think we offer um, a true family feel in a business environment, which is, I think, rare nowadays. And most notably, I think we care. Uh, Jimmy and I are incredibly passionate as are, as are our staff. Uh, amongst the franchisees, um, when I call it like a fraternity or sorority, you know, everyone cares. Everyone is there to support each other. There isn't amount. There isn't people that aren't willing to share secrets. It's quite the opposite. Um, so I think we've created a really special family, um, and uh, I think we're just in the beginning. I think too. Just one note is that our franchisees say to us, "Hey, we might have fifty units and only you know twenty franchisees throughout the country, but." They feel like we're big, like in a bigger brand, like I don't want to compare to, you know, the bigger franchisees, right? I'm not doing that. But they feel like through the, uh, you know, notoriety and the recognizability in their town, they feel like there's a pretty good uh, brand awareness, which is great to be small and, and nimble and have that family feel and support, but have this kind of presence where, hey, on the Today Show, hey, you're here. And so, oh, I've heard of Cousins Main Officer, you know, so I get in on ground floor. And I think that they feel like they say, hey, we've had other uh, franchisees from other big franchisors. And they say, hey, your support system is real. Like it's, you, we want to work. We want to ask about social or about uh, financials or inventory or par levels or, or booking a truck and successes. We've got people just doing that every day because everyone lives and breathes this. So you talked a little bit about it, but I want to uh, elaborate a little bit more on, you know, what was the brand's pandemic experience like? Um, you know, you kind of, you know, people were looking for food trucks, food trucks were in high demand during the, the real height of the pandemic. Um, so, you know, what, how did it affect any of your plans? Um, and what kind of, um, you know, responses and what have you heard from your franchisees about their experiences during the, you know, during the pandemic? Um, it was, it was a very busy time for us. Um, like everyone, the first couple of weeks were, um, uh, very I mean, troubling uh, throughout the whole period. It was, uh, it's obviously a very dark, dark time for so many people um, and for so many businesses. <clears throat> for us, for the first couple of weeks, we were saying to ourselves, Scott, how are we going to stay busy? What are we going to do? And then we started noticing the sales on all of our trucks specifically, and even our restaurants as well, um, going up. And the sales that our franchisees were doing most of the time were uh, incredible and very, very hard to fathom, especially during such a uh, scary time. We had to launch a pre-order app um, so people were able to safely and conveniently order their food via an app and pick it up at their location. Um, and that was so busy that we actually had to, had to change that and toggle in times because uh, our owners were turning on the app and getting 70 to 80 orders in five minutes. And it was too much for anyone to handle. Um, so oh, I would say for the most part, um, very, very big business, uh, and really a change in the business because for the, for our trucks, it used to be going to big events like concerts and sporting events. And now it was really just more communal going to local parking lots or local HOAs. Uh, so they found a way to round out the business. And now as we're hopefully creeping out of the pandemic, um, you know, we have a little bit more balance in the business. Also, one note that's interesting by the nature of our product versus maybe some others is that in the in the dark times, even references, you know, and people are kind of stuck inside or kind of wondering or they're having sicknesses and um, struggles. 
lobster is a celebratory delicacy yeah. elite item. Um, and we don't price it like it's an elite item. You know, it's just that we try to make it as affordable as possible, but you can celebrate. And you sit there and say, well, during COVID, what's to celebrate? It could just be getting out of the house on a Tuesday for lunch. You know, it could be just uh, being with your husband or wife, whoever's in your bubble on a Friday night. And if you can eat lobster, not only does it give you that kind of experience and champagne feel amidst this time, can transport you to Maine where you haven't been able to travel for years or to the Northeast to have that all. So I guess there was that kind of um, novelty experience as well for people because, uh, especially during COVID. And now if COVID is hopefully going away, then that still exists, you know, through our future because you might eat burgers and salads and et cetera. But when you have lobster, it's that moment that's a little bit different. Right. So, you know, I think, I think I have another question, you know, regarding that, you know, in, you know, many places, lobster is like this indulgence and, and very luxury and, and seasonal, um, but you guys grew up with it. So it was kind of like an everyday thing, you know, lobster for breakfast, lobster and eggs, lobster. So, you know, how, um, you know, in, in a way, the pandemic seems to have kind of, you know, built a, grown that, that appetite, um, you know, through more awareness and through, um I guess the the comforting of and treating of, of themselves via what you're serving. Um, so how do you kind of grow that and um, and you know have it be something that that people are are not going to see as just an every once in a while indulgence, but that'll be part of of their regular uh, go to restaurants. I'll take a stab at this first. I mean, I think. To your point, we saw in the pandemic, while maybe some uh, massive restaurants or big restaurants had to shrink back a little bit because of the nature of, of COVID, I think the in-home chef um, and, the, and the, the delicacy seafoods and meats that would go into people's homes kind of started getting people going again and it educated them a bit like, oh, this is steak, oh, this is lobster, and this is fish and how I cook it. So it, like you said, kind of increased maybe appetite or demand in a lot of ways um, so that now people go, Oh, I need to have more of that lobster, that that seafood, or whatever it may be that they like. Um, so, if we can increase the demand of of lobster, while well, that sounds a little bit weird in the in the pricing uh, scenario, but that's a good thing. If we can grow the main lobster industry, if we can create more awareness, which may have happened through COVID. So now, after COVID, if it's up to us, the way that we get it out there is we've always said we want to make it an an affordable luxury. We're not look. We're not the high end steakhouse with the white table linen cloth and champagne and a $150 lobster tail. We do our best to keep it obviously the best quality, a 10 that we grew up with, and make it affordable so that you can have lobster rolls multiple times a week or lobster tacos or our chowder or bisque or the lobster tail, you know, for 17 or 18 bucks instead of 50. So for us, it's more trucks and more restaurants that can bring this, uh, make it accessible in places throughout the country where it's not and get it to you at an affordable price where it's not breaking the bank. Do you have a target customer base? I try to sell. No, hey, I try to sell the savings. Right. I go over to Saban's house and I say, "Hey, buy some lobster." <laughs> no, we don't have a target <clears throat> a target customer base. Um, it's just everybody. You know, yeah, it's, it, it really is. I mean, you, whether it's a young adult or it's a foodie or it's a person who used to vacation in um, New England or someone who's just never had our food before, um, we don't necessarily have a target base. And I think going back to Jim's point, um, we aren't um, we aren't aiming to be fancy. We are aiming to be the highest quality, best lobster. When you think of lobster, you think of cousins. When you think of 
us, you know that we represent the state of Maine and, and at the highest level, but we're not trying to be fancy. Um, I don't know that you're ever going to get away from the celebratory type of feel. I, I don't want to. Um, and if that isn't every so often, every every week or two or however that may be thing, so be it. Um, we're not looking to oversaturate markets or grow to be McDonald's. Um, so who would you assess to be your competition and how do you think you compare to them? Um, competition. Um, I'm not hundred percent sure who our competition is. Um, but I, I, I would say, um, overall, I think we do things a little differently, um, on our own as a food truck. I, I don't think there's a lot of people doing what we do necessarily. Um, and even if there is competition, I think we welcome it. Um, I think Jim kind of said it uh, earlier. As long as people truly are marketing Maine Lobster and selling Maine Lobster and doing it the right way, so be it. Um, because that all goes back to the state of Maine. It all means that uh, more uh, men and women that are on the boats are being supported and, and local small towns are being supported. And we're all for that. So I'm, I'm not sure about uh, who the competition is, but... Um, if they deem themselves, if they are in fact competitors, so be it. It's it's all good with us. We we don't mind. So let's talk a little bit about the connection to Maine. Um, I know on your site, you know, you actually have little pinpoints where you know the the reader can connect with um, you know where you're getting your supply. Um, so you know, um, you know, as you grow, um, how you know how important is the role of sustainability? Um, you know, to the company as you grow and working with these uh, local suppliers and lo local vendors to make sure that you're meeting market demand? Um, it's incredibly important. And it's something that is uh, incredibly important in the state of Maine. It's a pivotal part of the fishery. Um, and that means it's a pivotal part of our business. Um, so you can't have one without the other. You can't recognize your growth or what you want without respecting and honoring what is uh, an essential part of the Maine lobster industry. So they go hand in hand. Um, we certainly are mindful of the, of the sustainability efforts and we appreciate them. Uh, we teach them to our franchisees, we teach them to our staff, and we hopefully teach them to the customer because what that means is it it should show the level of difficulty and how hard it is to actually um, produce this one lobster roll that you had in Dallas or, or Charlotte or um, Pittsburgh. Um, it should show that it was really, really hard to actually obtain this. And so we're all for it. Um, uh, we actually hired Jimmy's sister, Annie, who's the brains of the operation. She's been working in the main lobster industry for a long, long time. And now she's, she's the head of our education within our company. Um, so continuing education to remind customers and franchisees and uh, staff members uh, exactly what goes into actually um, the main industry. I think it's super important. So before you mentioned when you look for a franchisee partner that you are looking for someone who's going to be a good boss. And that kind of hits on, you know, two issues that in addition to the pandemic that um, you know, that restaurants have been dealing with, which is staffing and finding and retaining good staff and different supply chain challenges. So how, um, you know, how are you dealing with these issues um, and working to kind of combat them at this time? Yeah, I'll take a stab at the, at the staffing, Jim, if you want, you can take it at the supply chain. 
Um, in regard to the, in regard to staffing, I mean, I've worked in restaurants my entire life since I was 12 or 13 in Maine. I've worked in countless amounts of them. I've, uh, as well as just been working my entire life. And I know how important it is to have a nice boss and a relatable boss, one who is not demanding <clears throat> or rude or, um, and that says, thank you. So we've always tried to be those type of people, uh, to our staff. Nowadays with the, the labor shortage, um, and I think just with job jobs changing in general, people, a lot of people driving Uber and just there's new jobs. There's new ways to make money as opposed to when we were younger. I think people have options and they're not going to um, sit around and um, be treated poorly. So if you are the type of, of boss that thinks that you can kind of just bark orders, um, I don't think it's going to work for you. So for us, we, we, we are now looking at franchisees that way because we have seen people um, who haven't necessarily been the best bosses and we've seen them struggle and it's, it's, you know, without, without a staff, you can't work. So I think that just moving forward, um, you have to be, you have to be kind. Um, it sounds silly. You should always have to be kind, but you have to be kind. You have to be empathetic. Um, that, you know, it doesn't mean it's going to be perfect. It's incredibly hard for us, just like it's hard for everyone else to staff right now. Um, but retaining good staff, I think, and can having them work with you throughout this challenging time is based on your own empathy and kindness. And in terms of the supply chain, I mean, oh, baby, <laughs> um, in terms of supply chain, you know, I think it's, that is one of the things that is critical in any business. And in, in, the reality is a lot of businesses, there are certain areas where you just don't have control. Uh, a lot of groups obviously are overseas, some are domestic, um, but you know, what can you do about uh, trucks and ships and, and uh, people's ability to pr uh, produce branded packaging, right? At the rate of speed or, or even food where the demand is through the roof. So we obviously check a lot of those boxes where there could be the concern. And I think for, for us, um, and again, like Satan said, we're not the smartest guys in the world, but when this did happen, we did start looking ahead. Hey, if X happens, how do we, how do we solve for this? If it gets really bad, how do, how do we solve for it now and not in, you know, not at the moment and not get kind of, uh, caught in a bad position so uh you know what we did was work with our our, our manufacturers our vendors for uh, branded materials for bags for dry goods um with our uh, groups that produce all of our, our cleaning supplies or produce etc to make sure our systems would be filled um, and then we had our internal team when you speak of support always updating franchisees to say hey these are in stock these are good we have these amount of of par levels in inventory for here here might be, you know, a little bit of an issue, and this is how we're going to uh, circumvent or <clears throat> bridge the gap. In terms of food, which is our most critical, uh, we work uh, way in advance, uh, far in advance with uh, our teams in Maine uh, for lobster, uh, for literally anything on our menu, tails, soups, um, things that people really need and want uh, to make sure that we had that in play. And I think uh, a lot of that is in part of just like Zabe said earlier, our relationships, our connectivity to Maine um, being really upfront with them about where our business is going and progressing and making sure that we don't grow uh, inappropriately or unresponsibly. Like we grew knowing what we had to give the best quality to franchisees in busy times or really busy times. <clears throat> so we felt pretty good about that. I think that's just, you know, kind of having our eye on the ball and having a good team around us. So you mentioned, um, you know, having the, the app that allowed people to pre-order and that was, you know, helpful, particularly during the early days of the pandemic. So in what other ways is technology integrated into the brand um, to help you guys and to help the franchisees? 
Yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, and it's become more tech than we never would have thought. I mean, so there, there is the pre-order app, which is, you know, our custom app, which is great in the way of uh, ordering, but just also finding our trucks. They're on the move, finding our restaurants. Um, we have a brand new website. It took about a year and a half to build, which allows you to, again, see, like you're saying, sourcing uh, franchisees, locations, um, and not just that, it's allowing you to ship overnight from Maine. So we have a whole e-commerce division. So if you ate at a truck or restaurant, but you don't live there, if you live in a city where we are, but you want to send to your in-laws or your friends and family in Nebraska, where we are not, or anywhere throughout the country, you ship from Maine overnight to your house, which is insane and mind-boggling when you think of it, that you can get live lobsters tomorrow or this lobster mac and cheese um, or whatever it may be. So um, we have that piece. Then, of course, we have you know text message uh, marketing to people. And it's not marketing, but it's letting them know what, where our trucks are going, uh, where you can be, how you can get discounts, et cetera. Um, and then, of course, there is the whole software side of the purchase of sale um, and the third-party apps, if you will, at our restaurants and trucks to allow for sales and, and you know, more, more brand awareness, if you will. Also, there's also is, social uh, media. So the one, the one big thing sure. is social media, just being <clears throat> consistent on Facebook and Instagram, TikTok. Um, you know, that, that's essential. Right. I mean, it's a, it definitely is, it comes on the hand of being indulgent and works very well with Instagrammable and, and TikTok and all of that. So this is probably the toughest question. I know, you know, uh, that the Connecticut role is, is among the best sellers. Um, but where do you guys fall on? Is it, it, are you a Maine? Are you Connecticut? Or, you know, do you, what, what is your preference? Well, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this is this is this is this is not a fair question. <laughs> um, you know, I think that off the record, we both like warm lobster with butter. However, for the sake of your question, yes. we both prefer the main lobster roll because if we didn't say that, our mothers who would undoubtedly listen to this um, will call us, and it'll be a very ugly scene. So, main lobster roll. <laughs> The funny story here is before we opened, uh, Jim, Jim called about two weeks before we opened and said, you know, I think there's, there's this thing called the Connecticut lobster roll. They warm the butter and this and that. And we said, oh, we'll put it on the menu. We'll see if it sells. And it's our top seller, I think, in every market <laughs> except for one market. Right. Um, and in Maine, you'd be hard pressed to find it in too many locations. And I know growing right. up, I, we didn't even hear about it. We start, I started the business when I was 30. I didn't what it was so it's not a very um popular thing per se but now nowadays it, it certainly gets its love so uh off the record probably connecticut on the record on Maine. <laughs> so um you know where do you guys see your company going in you know in the next five years i know we had the you know the pandemic came in um you know but where do you see things going in five years i mean I think for us, it's just, it sounds cheesy again, but it's true. We, we, we love the challenge. We love growing, um, <clears throat> you know, it's, and it just kind of happened organically. So when we, when we meet new franchisees and we get a new city and you see these lines of people that are like, oh my God, I, I, how have we never had this here? How have we never had this? We're about to open in Detroit. We're so excited about that and the new opportunities there. And so I think for us, it's continuing to grow with amazing partners and franchisees join the family. Um, that represent the brand well, and that we can just kind of, again, have that joy. Just as 
day one, 10 years ago, when we started with one truck and you see someone take a lobster roll in Los Angeles and send a photo and love it, and it changes our, our day and their day. So to see that in new cities with trucks and restaurants, you know, that's our goal. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate it.